Romans 4. Okay, just by way of quick review to bring us up to speed as to what we've really talked about over the, the course of the quarter to date. I want to just do a quick review. And that is, what has Paul looked at? What has Paul proven? What has he discussed? Well, obviously, number one, he's laid the groundwork that all men are, are sinners. We've all earned death right? Spiritual death. We've all earned uh, punishment. When you think about Romans, the sixth chapter, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But when you think about Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We've earned death because of our sins. And so Paul now, as we ended in chapter three, he lays the groundwork for the solution how is God going to solve man's problem that man caused because man sinned? So how is he going to solve the problem and be just and the justifier? So because God is righteous. And so what the plan that he has created before the foundation of the world, we looked at that Ephesians 1, then salvation is available to all men. Okay? Correct? Salvation is available. That doesn't mean they have salvation, but salvation is available to all men. And as we looked at last week, the solution is Christ. And so salvation is now conditional upon faith, belief in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about today, what does that faith really mean to us? Okay. Uh, we also considered the fact that or Paul looked at that Jesus's public sacrifice was an appeasement to God for the sins of the world. And so uh, we also looked at the fact that this idea of justification is a gift. It's a gift from God to man. Now, a couple of things that I, I want to think about in, in this quick review is... Have you thought about the fact that, number one, man caused the problem, right? We chose to sin, right? But who provided the solution? God. God gave his son to be that solution for us. So that's a gift that we can look at it from that perspective. John three sixteen, right? But... He also gave us, through his son, the ability to have eternal life. So look at it from both perspectives. So think about God's love in that regard. He gave his son. He also gave us eternal life through his son. So justification is a gift. And then we also consider the fact that uh, man is justified by a law of faith and that justification by faith is open and available to both Jew and Gentile. So, I want to go in to the question, question one. And this begins our study of Romans 4. To whom does Paul refer when providing evidence to show God's righteousness before God is determined by faith? That's a mouthful. But who does he go back to? Abraham, and why? Why Abraham? 
promise. It was accounted to him as righteousness. But when you think about it, all of the promises that we enjoy, when you think about it from the Jew, Jewish perspective, who do they all go back to? Father Abraham. Okay, so it makes logical sense that he would go to Abraham. And so when you think about Abraham and the promises that think about the promises of the the nation, the people, the seed, all of that goes back to uh, Abraham. And so he now goes to look at this concept of Abraham and this idea that his reader may be having is, well, okay, Paul, we understand, but what about Abraham? Was he not justified by works, by circumcision, or even by the law, his descendants justified by law? And that's really the weekly briefing. If you get nothing else out of today, I want you to understand that justification is determined, or righteousness is determined by faith. Not by the works of the law, not by uh, circumcision, and not by law itself. And so now, this is really the, the, the framework, the, I guess the, the outline that I'm going to follow in today's lesson. It's really laid out nicely in Romans 4. So, then I want you to go to question 2. What argument, and I'm, I'm again, understand my term of argument. It's from a legal perspective. Okay. What argument does Paul use to prove righteousness cannot be based on works? What does he say? Well, yeah, and we'll, we'll get there on the circumcised, but notice in verse two, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So I want to stop there and think about if he had done it through works, if his righteousness was based on works, then had he not then earned his righteousness? The wages. Think about going about that same concept in Romans 6. We earned death because of our sin. But we didn't earn righteousness, and neither did Abraham earn righteousness. Because that's the consequence of if he did it by works. Because what does the scripture say? It was by faith. Notice, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So, you know, when you think about it from just a... I don't know, logical perspective, scripture. And when I talk about scripture, I'm talking old covenant. So think about if I were a Jew and I was supposed to have a knowledge of the old covenant, then would I not have concluded that it could not have been based on my works? Because going all the way back to Abraham, God said that because of Abraham's belief, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Do you see that? So if they had correctly interpreted scripture, they would have concluded that. But Paul had to say, remember, what does the scripture say? Verse 3, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, I don't think we can go past this without going back all the way to Genesis. 
So I want to spend a little bit of time in Genesis so we can get a concept of the context where all of this happened. Because if we understand the context of Genesis 15, if we understand the context of other areas where Abraham's faith is realized, we get a glimmer of what righteousness by faith is really all about. Okay? So, go back to Genesis 15. If I can get there. Genesis 15. And let's go ahead and look at 1 through 4. Now, let me just say this. Approximately, how old is Abraham at this point? No, not yet. He's, about, he's in his late 70s at this point in time. And you, if you do your math, if you go to Genesis 12, he's 75 when he leaves to go toward the land of Canaan. We'll get there in a minute. Then he spends 10 years in Canaan before Ishmael is born. So somewhere, you know, I would say in the early part, it looks like he's, it, it's in his late 70s, mid to late 70s, I'm going to say, is likely how old he is at this point in time in Genesis 15. So keep that in mind. And notice in verse 15, verse 1, we don't have time to go through all of these passages in depth. I just want to hit some highlights to make some points. Notice in uh, 15, verse 1, your God promises to Abraham that your reward shall be very great. Well, that's thinking, okay, Abraham's thinking reward, you know, his his. His response is, well, O Lord God, what will thou give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, since thou hast given no offspring to me, one born in my own house is my uh, one born in my house is my heir. Uh, Then behold, the word of the Lord uh, came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir But one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then notice verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord, and it reckoned to him as righteousness. I'll get that out in a minute. Okay, think about... Abraham is in his mid to late 70s. His wife is about 10 years younger. So Sarah is in her mid to late 60s. And now God is telling him, no, someone from your own body is going to be your heir. And that heir and your descendants will be as numerous as the the stars in the heaven. Now, is that logical? From human reasoning, from human wisdom... Is that a logical thing to think about? I mean, hey, is it? No. I should see heads going this way. It is not human wisdom, not human reasoning to think that someone that old, a woman that old, I'm going to preface, of that maturity, is able to bear children. But what did Abraham do? He believed God. 
So when human wisdom, when human reasoning doesn't compute, but if God says something, what did Abraham do? He believed. And isn't that a lesson for us? That regardless of what human wisdom says, that who should we listen to? We listen to this. And I've made that point before. So now what I want to do is go back to Genesis 12. Because this really begins this journey that Abraham is on. As I indicated now uh, earlier, uh, Moses, Abraham, I'll get out in a minute. Abraham is 75 years old. And what does the Lord tell Abram to do? Get up, go, go to where I'm going to show you, go to a place that I'm going to show you. You know, I don't know about you, but at my age, like the last thing I want to do is get up and go somewhere. Move is what I'm referring to. Now, I feel like I'm fairly active, but to move, that's overwhelming. All the stuff that's in my attic. Okay. But notice what he said. Notice how the scripture reads in verse 4. So God gives him the command, the promises, verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. You know, it's just God says, I do. Now let's go to Genesis, the 22nd chapter. Okay, what is Genesis 22 about? Sacrifice of Isaac. Now, let's think about this. How old, you didn't know this was going to be a, a review of t- to know how old people were, right? Well, how old was Abram or Abraham when Isaac was born? 100. Well, the promise was initially given when he was 75. So Abraham had to wait. 25 years. Now, that's nothing for God. God is not bound by time. But for us, somebody tells us they're going to do something and we have to wait 25 years, we assume they forgot about it. But God didn't. And so Abram, Abraham waited 25 years for the birth of Isaac. And it's through Isaac that all the, the descendants will come. And now God is telling Abraham to do what? To sacrifice, to, to kill him. Again, human, re- human wisdom, human reasoning. What, this doesn't make any sense, God. Why are you telling me to do that? That's what we would do, right? Tolly, did you have a question, a comment? Yes, yes. And, <clears throat> and in fact... Um, I thought my uh, version said test, but maybe it doesn't. Anyway, do what? Oh, yes, that's where I was looking. Thank you. Um, now, yes, now it came about uh, after these things uh, that God tested Abraham. Okay, so human wisdom says, mm, doesn't compute. I don't get this. But notice what, uh, what, 
what happens. Verse 2, the command, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering. They rose, went to the place of which God had told them. And notice what he uh, what he says in verse um, five. And Abraham said to his young men, "Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you." Now, what's what's implied in that statement? They will both return. So, and we'll get to Hebrews. I know y'all are thinking Hebrews. Abraham had full confidence that God was going to provide, right? We get to that at the end, later in the chapter 22, that God's going to provide, God's going to have some solution that I don't know. But that didn't stop Abraham from doing what God told him. So do you see the faith that Abraham and, and had in, in God? That regardless of what God said, even if it didn't compute from a human perspective, he was going to obey God. He was going to believe in what God said. And we'll come back to this idea of Abraham's faith here with Isaac as we wind up chapter, five, uh, chapter 4. But that's the kind of faith... That Abraham had. Now, when you think about Hebrews, Hebrews 11. If I can get there. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. By going out to a place which was which he was to receive for inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. It's one thing to move when you're my age. It's another thing to move when you don't really know where you're going. I don't even like to go on a trip when I don't have a reservation at the local Hilton Hampton Inn. I mean, I gotta have my itinerary. But Abram went out not knowing where he was going. Notice also, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. Look, Notice verse 11. By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. But I want you to go all the way down to verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. And notice verse 19. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. And so again, Abraham had this immense faith and obedience to God. God speaks, he obeys. That's the faith. Faith isn't just a mental assent to, to hear something, okay, and, and move on. But faith, the faith of Abraham is hearing God's word, his message, and then doing it. 
Faith is active. It is not some passive mental belief. It is an active word. I was just going to say in Genesis 22, where we were, um, he had not withheld his son, his only son. Mm -hmm. In his mind, he was good as dead. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and, and what it say, figuratively speaking, he was raised from the dead because he had in his mind, he had already done it. He Mm -hmm. was willing. He was, had not withheld him. Yeah. And, And again, he realized that God had the power to raise him from the dead. Uh, because, and we'll get to this at the end of chapter four, but just in case, what did God do at the very beginning of time? Didn't he create everything out of nothing? Jonathan. Just to support what you were saying in terms of his active faith from Genesis 22 that we read, I mean, you see in verse three, uh, he's told to go sacrifice his son. So the verbs in this sentence are that he rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men. He split wood. He arose and he went. I don't yeah. even know how many. That was six or seven yeah. or something. Yeah. But the point is it's an act of faith. Coming right. back to um, uh, Roman or uh, Hebrews 11 to support what you were saying there from uh, you know, understanding that he had the faith that God can raise men from mm-hmm. the dead. If you want to see the direct connection between Abraham's faith and the kind of faith that saves us, it's the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. To have faith that God raised a man from the dead, that was the whole crux of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's really the point that Paul is eventually going to get to, is that he is our father, our father of faith. Uh, and so we can look to him as an example of the kind of saving faith that we need to have as Christians. Now, um, one, one thing that I, I just am going to uh, mention is, isn't this really the same concept that Paul talks about here in Romans that James talks about in James 2 toward the end of the chapter? That you cannot have faith without the works because faith manifests itself in the works that that person is doing. Just like we see in Abraham. And just like we see in all the other uh, people that are identified in Hebrews 11. Faith is an active word. It's an act, I think of it as an active verb, not a noun. Obviously it is, but um, it, it's an active word. Okay, so... Yes. Yeah. 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 And his faith was completed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, the point, again, points that I want to make is faith is taking God's word at its face value and applying it to our lives. And second, faith is all about ignoring human wisdom and recognizing that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And all we need is this. So, let's move on. Go back to Romans 4. Okay, so now in verses 6 through 8, David comes in. He, Paul references David and says, Just as David also speaks of the blessings upon the man to whom God reckons the righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin um, the Lord will not take into account. Uh, I won't take time to go back to 
Psalm 32, which is where this is, is taken. But basically, it is a reference that David is praising God for, um, for the fact that he forgives. And the man is greatly blessed. The man whom God forgives is greatly blessed. So do you see what Paul is linking? He's linking this, self, this righteousness like Abraham to the ability to be blessed. To receive forgiveness. So for us to receive forgiveness, what, do we, what kind of faith do we need? That faith like Abraham. I think that's the point that he's, he's making here in uh, verses 1 through 8. Okay. Let's go on to the next uh, question. Question 3. How does Paul prove righteousness cannot be based upon the right of circumcision? Abraham wasn't circumcised. So now you go to Genesis 17, which is, I'm going to say, probably 23 to 24 years later. And this is where the the rite of circumcision is um, instituted, where God says, you know, Abram, you and all your uh, sons, your males... In, 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 in your people will be circumcised. That will be the sign of the covenant. And, and so what, what Paul is saying back in, in Romans is, hey, Abraham was deemed righteous and he was not circumcised. So righteousness cannot be based on circumcision. Okay. Now, if Abraham can be righteous and not be circumcised, then what does that say to others, to the Gentiles? The same. We, too, can be righteous before God and not be circumcised. So do you see, if the Jews had really connected the dots in Scripture, they they could have reasoned through this as well. And I guess I have to say this. We need to be able to connect the dots too. So why couldn't, why didn't the Jews connect the dots? Yeah, they would have to give up their lifestyle, but basically I'm going to reword it, rephrase it. They were biased, weren't they? they? They came to it with a predisposition, a bias of what the scripture said. And that bias then prevented them, or made it more challenging, to reason through the scripture. And I'm just going to say we need to be careful we don't do the same. Okay? Oh, yeah. Pride in their national heritage. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, let me go back to Romans 4. So, again, he can be then our father. Now, notice in verse 12, I'm going to sum up here. So, he, he, obviously, we can see that Abram is, uh, was righteous before circumcision. But notice he says, I'm going to go to the end of uh, 
chapter, uh, verse 11, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. We've already made that point. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. I want to look at this, this phrase, the steps of the faith. Because I think this term just really reiterates what he has talked about already in verse in, in the first section with regard to works. Faith is a walk of life. Do you get what I'm saying? As I indicated earlier, faith will drive you to do something. But it's not just a one and done. It is a walk of life that guides us through our entire life. Okay? Through our life as God's people, as a child of God. And so I think we've got, we can't forget that. It is a walk. It's a journey that we are all on. Okay? Okay. Um, yes, Brian. In chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, where he's talking about the Gentiles who do the things of the law apart from the law. Mm-hmm. And, and I really see a lot of parallels here where he's talking about the same thing about those who do the things of the circumcision yeah. without the circumcision. Right. And how impactful this would be upon the Jewish people to hear mm-hmm. that these Gentiles are just as much a son of Abraham as you are mm-hmm. because of their faith. Right. Okay, so now... Uh, I want you to think about the fact that Paul uses very similar logic, or maybe I'd say word similar wording, but s- same logic, to the letter in Galatia. So turn to Galatians. Let's start with uh, Galatians 1, just to get context. Excuse me, Galatians 3, verse 1. Paul tells them, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Does that sound familiar? We talked about the public display last week in in Romans, the third chapter. But go on. Notice this in verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now, I'm going to stop here. What was the issue that Paul is addressing to the church in Galatia? Circumcision. Because these Christians wanted to go back and impose this right of circumcision. The right is R-I-T-E, not R-I-G-H-T. Notice then that he says, are you now going to be perfected by circumcision? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
Does he then who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing from faith? And then notice this in verse six, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is to those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Okay, so you see the point, the connection of Romans three, excuse me, Romans four to Galatians three. That Abraham is the father, not just of the Jewish nation, but more importantly, he's the father of all those who believe God and have the same faith that Abraham had. That he believed God and acted upon. Chris. Yeah, and, and, and that goes into verse 8. So that's a good segue to verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So I like that wording, gospel. I mean, it, it means the good news. But when you look at the things that Paul, excuse me, that God tells Abram, Abraham, and the, and what God and what Abraham is doing, that all the nations shall be blessed in you. That is good news, because that gives us the the, the promise. We are the recipients of promise. Speaking just to um, that that controversy, right? That the Galatians passage, what we've been talking about, the four chapters of Romans, all of this building on John chapter eight where Jesus may be in his most direct teaching, where he doesn't speak mm-hmm. mysteriously. He speaks incredibly plainly in John chapter 8 and tells the Jews, the circumcised people, he says, you are not Abraham's children. He says there's one determining factor, and it's, it's if you behave like Abraham, if you yeah. do the works, his faithful obedience. And they hear that, and they try to kill him instantly mm-hmm. because they cannot hear that at that time. I think Leanne had a question. It goes back to the promise that um, God gave Abraham when he was looking up at the stars and he was looking at the sands. And he says, your descendants will be like the stars of the heaven. And, you know, sometimes at night I look up at the stars and I think to myself, what a what a beautiful promise that was because you can't count all the stars that are in the heavens all the time. So, you know, it goes back to that promise. Jesus fulfilled that promise through his um, death, burial, and resurrection. He fulfilled the promise of Abraham making everybody who wanted to come to Christ uh, uh, a faith and stayed faithful unto death, his child. That was part of that promise. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when we think about the promise to Abraham, the the people would be as numerous as the sands of the seashore and stars of heaven. I think it's really doubly, you look at it in two different perspectives. One, obviously the physical nation of Israel was great, but even greater is the spiritual. The fact that when you think of all the spiritual, Spiritual children of Abraham through faith, how numerous they are, you know, through the centuries. And really, I think the greater meaning to God's promise is the latter. Okay, real quickly, then, um, did I skip a question? 
I may have, but I'll keep on going. Um, question four. When was the promise made to Abraham? In, in relation to the law, the giving of the law. Before the law, obviously, okay? Uh, a long time before the law. How does Paul use this fact to reason righteousness can be, cannot be based on law? That's right. Exactly. And so when you think about it, not just from a timing perspective like circumcision, because that's that similar logic with circumcision, but I want you to think about the fact that if, in fact, law made us righteous, what has Paul already proven about the Jews? They're sinners. They couldn't keep the law. So you couldn't. The, the, the fact that if there was a question about right, Abraham's righteousness, uh, you know, based on law, Paul's already solved that dilemma, that uh, answered that question, because the Jews couldn't keep the law perfectly. So, uh, and, and, and really, when you think about it, that's the same logic that Paul uses in Galatians, the third chapter, when you look at verses, say, 10 through 14. When you go back there, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Why were they under a curse? Because the law could not take away sins. The, the Jews could not keep it perfectly. Verse 11, now, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. Again, he reminds his Galatian reader that righteousness is based on faith. Verse 12, however, the law is not a faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law because the, the law could not save man. Notice verse 14, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through what? Through faith. Okay. So similar logic. Similar uh, positioning. We cannot be saved on the law. We cannot be saved through circumcision. We cannot be saved by our own works. We can't earn our salvation. It is all based on faith. And that's really where he's going in verse 16. For this reason it is by faith. That it might be in accordance with grace. In order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. Okay? So Paul, again, concludes this line of reasoning that we are justified by faith, the faith of Abraham. And therefore, Abraham is the father of us all from a faith perspective. Okay, and and notice in at the end of verse seventeen, in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Think about the God we serve. He raised people from the dead, and whom did he raise most of all? That of utmost importance, Jesus. 
Because like the other people who were raised that we have record of, what happened to them? They subsequently died. But did Christ? No. Okay. So we have that, that, uh, that, that fact. And so um, I'm going to, just for sake of time, what promise did, going to question six, what promise did God give Abraham and did he waver in believing God's promise? What was the promise made to Abraham in context of this uh, chapter, uh, Romans 4 at the end? The father of many nations, okay, that there was going to come someone from his own womb, okay? Did he waver in that faith, in that belief? No. Right. And so notice, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving God, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Now, did did Abraham's faith waver in other areas? Yes, it did. We can think of a couple of examples just in relation to his wife, Sarah. Right? And then, but did it waver in respect to this? No. Now, I want you to think about this idea that God is able to perform what he had promised. Now, I want you to think about for us today. What does this mean for us? So, what promise has God given us? Stay faithful until death, and we have eternal life with him. Faithful through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, we can have eternal life. So, like Abraham, who didn't waver in God's promise of a son, if we have the faith of Abraham, should we waver in our faith that God will deliver on his promise of eternal life? No, and to me, that's the point that he's trying to make, is God's got the power. God's got the ability to deliver on the promise that he has made to his children, that he can deliver us eternal life. So we may have periods of weakness in faith for, for whatever reason, for whatever thing that is troubling us. But one thing we cannot have should not waver on, let me say cannot, but should not have waver on is God's ability to deliver on his promise of eternal life. Because if we stay faithful there, and if we are committed and we have that recognition that God can deliver, then that could help us in the other areas of life where we may be wavering from time to time. Make sense? And so notice then, in, in concluding in verse 23, it not now for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So, I think the point that, He's, he's making is God gave us his son and 
because of our sins. And he was delivered up. He was crucified because of our transgressions. But God raised him from the dead in order that he might justify the man of faith in Christ. And so he concludes with and was raised because of our justification. So then in next week, as we start our journey into Romans 5, we will talk about this idea of justification. And what does that mean for us if we are been justified by faith in Christ? And I think that time is up. I think, have I heard the second bell? Yeah, it's 1015. So I think the doors are opening. So yes, thank you.